Characters and Chapter One, Part One of Laddie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Characters Laddie, who loved and asked no questions. The Princess, from the House of Mystery. Leon, our angel child. Little sister, who tells what happened. Mr. and Mrs. Stanton, who faced life shoulder to shoulder. Sally and Peter, who married each other. Elizabeth, Shelley, May, and other Stanton children. Mr. and Mrs. Pryor, father and mother of the princess. Robert Paget, a Chicago lawyer. Mrs. Freshett, who offered her life for her friend. Candace, the cook. Miss Amelia, the schoolmistress. Interested relatives, friends, and neighbors. Chapter One, Part One, Little Sister. And could another child world be my share? I'd be a little sister there. Have I got a little sister anywhere in this house? inquired Laddie at the door, in his most coaxing voice. Yes, sir, I answered, dropping the trousers I was making for Hezekiah, my pet blue jay, and running as fast as I could. There was no telling what minute May might take it into her head that she was a little sister and reach him first. Maybe he wanted me to do something for him, and I loved to wait on Laddie. Ask mother if you may go with me a while. Mother doesn't care where I am if I come when the supper bell rings. All right, said Laddie. He led the way around the house, sat on the front step, and took me between his knees. Oh, is it going to be a secret? I cried. Secrets with Laddie were the greatest joy in life. He was so big and so handsome. He was so much nicer than anyone else in our family, or among our friends, that to share his secrets, run his errands, and love him blindly was the greatest happiness. Sometimes I disobeyed father and mother. I minded Laddie like his right hand. The biggest secret yet, he said gravely. Tell quick, I begged, holding my lip to his ears. Not so fast, said Laddie. Not so fast. I have doubts about this. I don't know that I should send you. Possibly you can't find the way. You may be afraid. Above all, there is never to be a whisper. Not to anyone. Do you understand? What's the matter? I asked. Something serious, said Laddie. You see, I expected to have an hour or two for myself this afternoon, so I made an engagement to spend the time with a fairy princess in our big woods. Father and I broke the reaper taking it from the shed just now, and you know how he is about fairies. I did know how he was about fairies. He hadn't a particle of patience with them. A princess would be the queen's daughter. My father's people were English, and I had heard enough talk to understand that. I was almost wild with excitement. Tell me the secret, hurry, I cried. It's just this, he said. It took me a long time to coax the princess into our big woods. I had to fix a throne for her to sit on, spread a magic carpet for her feet, and build a wall to screen her. Now, what is she going to think if I'm not there to welcome her when she comes? She promised to show me how to make sunshine on dark days. Tell father, and he can have Leon help him. But it's a secret with the princess, and it's hers as much as mine. If I tell, she may not like it, and then she won't make me her prince, and send me on her errands. Then you don't dare tell a breath, I said. Will you go in my place and carry her a letter to explain why I'm not coming, little sister? Of course, I said stoutly, 
and then my heart turned right over, for I had never been in our big woods alone, and neither mother nor father wanted me to go. Passing gypsies sometimes laid down the fence and went there to camp. Father thought all the wolves and wildcats were gone. He hadn't seen any in years. But every once in a while someone said they had, and he was not quite sure yet. And that wasn't the beginning of it. Paddy Ryan had come back from the war wrong in his head. He wore his old army overcoat summer and winter, slept on the ground, and ate whatever he could find. Once Laddie and Leon, hunting squirrels to make broth for mother, on one of her bad days, saw him in our big woods, and he was eating snakes. If I found Pat Ryan eating a snake, it would frighten me so I would stand still and let him eat me if he wanted to, and perhaps he wasn't too crazy to see how plump I was. I seemed to see swarthy dark faces, big sleek cats dropping from limbs, and Paddy Ryan's matted gray hair, the flying rags of the old blue coat, and a snake in his hands. Laddie was slipping the letter into my apron pocket. My knees threatened to let me down. Must I lift the leaves and hunt for her, or will she come to me? I wavered. That's the biggest secret of all, said Laddie. Since the princess entered them, our woods are enchanted. and there is no telling what wonderful things may happen any minute. One of them is this. Whenever the princess comes there, she grows in size until she is as big as, say, our Sally, and she fills all the place with glory, until you are so blinded you can scarcely see her face. What is she like, laddie? I questioned, so filled with awe and interest that fear was forgotten. She is taller than Sally, said laddie. Her face is oval, and her cheeks are bright. Her eyes are big moonlit pools of darkness, and silken curls fall over her shoulders. One hair is strong enough for a lifeline that will draw a drowning man ashore, or strangle an unhappy one. But you will not see her. I'm purposely sending you early, so you can do what you are told, and come back to me before she even reaches the woods. What am I to do, laddie? You must put one hand in your apron pocket, and take the letter in it, and as long as you hold it tight, nothing in the world can hurt you. Go out our lane to the big woods, climb the gate, and walk straight back the wagon road to the water. When you reach that, you must turn to your right and go towards Hood's until you come to the pawpaw thicket. Go around that, look ahead, and you'll see the biggest beech tree you ever saw. You know a beech, don't you? Of course I do, I said indignantly. Father taught me beech with the other trees. Well then, said Laddie, straight before you will be a purple beech, and under it is the throne of the princess. The magic carpet, and the walls I made. Among the beech roots there is a stone hidden with moss. Roll the stone back, and there will be a piece of bark. Lift that, lay the letter in the box you'll find, and scamper to me like flying. I'll be at the barn with father. Is that all? Not quite, said Laddie. It's possible that the fairy queen may have set the princess spinning silk for the caterpillars to weave their little houses with this winter, and if she has, she may have left a letter there to tell me. If there is one, put it in your pocket. Hold it close every step of the way, and you'll be safe coming home as you were going. But you mustn't let a soul see it. You must slip it into my pocket when I'm not looking. If you let anyone see it, then the magic will be spoiled, and the fairy won't come again. No one shall see, I promised. I knew you could be trusted, said Laddie, kissing and hugging me hard. Now go. If anything gets after you that such a big girl as you really wouldn't be ashamed to be afraid of, Climb on a fence and call. I'll be listening, and I'll come flying. Now I must hurry. Father will think it's going to take me the remainder of the day to find the bolts he wants. 
We went down the front walk, between the rows of hollyhocks and tasseled lady slippers, out the gate, and followed the road. Laddie held one of my hands tight, and in the other I gripped the letter in my pocket. So long as Laddie could see me, and the lane lay between open fields, I wasn't afraid. I was thinking so deeply about our woods being enchanted, and a tiny fairy growing big as our Sally, because she was in them, that I stepped out bravely. Every few days I followed the lane as far back as the big gate. This stood where four fields cornered, and opened into the road leading to the woods. Beyond it I had walked on Sunday afternoons with Father, while he taught me all the flowers, vines, and bushes he knew. Only he didn't know some of the prettiest ones. I had to have books for them, and I was studying to learn enough that I could find out. Or I had ridden on the wagon with Laddie and Leon when they went to bring wood for the cook-stove, out-oven, and big fireplace. But to walk, to go all alone, not that I didn't walk by myself over every other foot of the acres and acres of beautiful land my father owned. But ploughed fields, grassy meadows, wood pasture, and the orchard were different. I played in them without a thought of fear. The only things to be careful about were a little shiny, slender snake, with a head as bright as mother's copper kettle, and a big thick one with patterns on its back like those in Laddie's geometry books, and a whole rattle-box on its tail. Not to eat any berry or fruit I didn't know first without asking father, and always to be sure to measure how deep the water was before I waded in alone. But our big woods! Leon said the wildcats would get me there. I sat in our Kaltapa, and watched the gypsies drive past every summer. Mother hated them as hard as ever she could hate anyone, because once they had stolen some fine shirts, with linen bosoms, that she had made by hand for father, and was bleaching on the grass. If gypsies should be in our west woods to-day, and steal me, she would hate them worse than ever, because my mother loved me now, even if she didn't want me when I was born. But you could excuse her for that. She had already bathed, spanked, sewed for, and reared eleven babies, so big and strong not one of them ever even threatened to die. When you thought of that, you could see she wouldn't be likely to implore the Almighty to send her another, just to make her family even numbers. I never felt much hurt at her, but some of the others I never have forgiven, and maybe I never will. As long as there had been eleven babies, they should have been so accustomed to children that they needn't all of them have objected to me. All except Laddie, of course. That was the reason I loved him so, and tried to do every single thing he wanted me to, just the way he liked it done. That was why I was facing the only spot on our land where I was in the slightest afraid, because he asked me to. If he had told me to dance a jig on the ridgepole of our barn, I would have tried it. So I clasped the note, set my teeth, and climbed over the gate. I walked fast, and kept my eyes straight before me. If I looked on either side, sure as life I would see something I never had before, and be down digging up a strange flower, chasing a butterfly, or watching a bird. Besides, if I didn't look in the fence corners that I passed, maybe I wouldn't see anything to scare me. I was going along finely, and feeling better every minute as I went down the bank of an old creek that had gone dry, and started up the other side toward the sugar camp not far from the big woods. The bed was full of weeds, and as I passed through, away went something among them. Beside the camp shed there was corded wood, and the first thing I knew I was on top of it. The next, my hand was on the note in my pocket. My heart jumped until I could see my apron move, and my throat went all stiff and dry. I gripped the note and waited. Father believed God would take care of him. I was only a little girl, 
and needed help much more than a man. Maybe God would take care of me. There was nothing wrong in carrying a letter to the fairy princess. I thought perhaps it would help if I should kneel on the top of the woodpile and ask God to not let anything get me. The more I thought about it, the less I felt like doing it, though, because really you have no business to ask God to take care of you unless you know you are doing right. This was right, but in my heart I also knew that if Laddie had asked me, I would be shivering on top of that cordwood on a hot August day when it was wrong. On the whole, I thought it would be more honest to leave God out of it and take the risk myself. That made me think of the Crusaders and the little gold trinket in Father's chest till. There were four shells on it, and each one stood for a trip on foot or horseback to the holy city when you had to fight almost every step of the way. Those shells meant that my father's people had gone four times, so he said, that although it was a way far back, still each of us had a tiny share of the blood of the crusaders in our veins, and that it would make us brave and strong, and whenever we were afraid, if we would think of them, we never could do a cowardly thing, or let anyone else do one before us. He said anyone with crusader blood had to be brave as Richard the Lionhearted. Thinking about that helped ever so much, so I gripped the note and turned to take one last look at the house before I made a dash for the gate that led into the big woods. Beyond our land lay the farm of Jacob Hood, and Mrs. Hood always teased me because Laddie had gone racing after her when I was born. She was in the middle of Monday's washing, and the bluing settled in the rinse water and stained her white clothes in streaks it took months to bleach out. I always liked Sarah Hood for coming and dressing me, though, because our Sally, who was big enough to have done it, was upstairs crying and wouldn't come down. I liked Laddie, too, because he was the only one of our family who went to my mother and kissed her, said he was glad, and offered to help her. Maybe the reason he went was because he had an awful scare, but anyway he went, and that was enough for me. You see, it was this way. No one wanted me. As there had been eleven of us, everyone felt that was enough. May was six years old and in school, and my mother thought there would never be any more babies. She had given away the cradle, and divided the baby clothes among my big married sisters and brothers, and was having a fine time, and enjoying herself the most she ever had in her life. The land was paid for long ago. The house she had planned, builded as she wanted it, she had a big team of matched greys, and a carriage with side lamps, and patent leather trimmings, and sometimes there was money in the bank. I do not know that there was very much, but any at all was a marvel, considering how many of us there were to feed. Clothe and send to college. Mother was forty six and father was fifty, so they felt young enough yet to have a fine time and enjoy life. And just when things were going best, I announced that I was halfway over my journey to earth. You can't blame my mother so much. She must have been tired of babies and disliked to go back and begin all over after resting six years. And you mustn't be too hard on my father if he was not just overjoyed. He felt sure the cook would leave. And she did. He knew Sally would object to a baby when she wanted to begin having bows, so he and mother talked it over and sent her away for a long visit to Ohio with father's people and never told her. They intended to leave her there until I was over the colic at least. They knew the big married brothers and sisters would object, and they did. They said it would be embarrassing for their children to be the nieces and nephews of an aunt or uncle younger than themselves. They said it so often and so emphatically that father was provoked and mother cried. Shelley didn't like it because she was going to school in Groveville, where Lucy, one of our married sisters, lived, 
and she was afraid I would make so much work she would have to give up her books and friends and remain at home. There never was a baby born who was any less wanted than I was. I knew as much about it as anyone else, because from the day I could understand, all of them, father, mother, Shelley, Sarah Hood, everyone who knew, took turns telling me how badly I was not wanted, how much trouble I made, and how Laddie was the only one who loved me at first. Because of that, I was on the cordwood trying to find courage to go farther. Over and over Laddie had told me himself. He had been to visit our big sister Elizabeth over Sunday, and about eight o'clock Monday morning he came riding down the road, and saw the most dreadful thing. There was not a curl of smoke from the chimneys, not a tablecloth or pillow slip on the line, not a blind raised. Laddie said his heart went, just like mine did when the something jumped in the creek bed, no doubt. Then he laid on the whip and rode. He flung the rein over the hitching post, leaped the fence, and reached the back door. The young green girl, who was all father could get when the cook left, was crying. So were Shelley and little May, although she said afterward she had a boil on her heel, and there was no one to poultice it. Laddie leaned against the door-casing, and it is easy enough to understand what he thought. He told me he had to try twice before he could speak, and then he could only ask, "'What's the matter?' Probably May never thought she would have the chance, but the others were so busy crying harder, now that they had an audience, that she was the first to tell him, "'We have got a little sister.' "'Great day!' cried Laddie. "'You made me think we had a funeral. "'Where is Mother, and where is my little sister?' He went bolting right into Mother's room, and kissed her like the gladdest boy alive, because he was only a boy then, and he told her how happy he was that she was safe, and then he asked for me. He said I was the only living creature in that house who was not shedding tears, and I didn't begin for about six months afterward. In fact, not until Shelley taught me, by pinching me if she had to rock the cradle. Then I would cry so hard Mother would have to take me. He said he didn't believe I'd ever have learned by myself." He took a pillow from the bed, fixed it in the rocking-chair, and laid me on it. When he found that father was hitching the horses to send Leon for Dr. Fenner, Laddie rode back after Sarah Hood, and spoiled her washing. It may be that the interest he always took in me had its beginning in all of them scaring him with their weeping. Even Sally, whom father had to telegraph to come home, was upstairs crying, and she was almost a woman. It may be that all the tears they shed over not wanting me so scared Laddie that he went further in his welcome than he ever would have thought of going if he hadn't done it for joy when he learned his mother was safe. I don't care about the reason. It is enough for me that from the hour of my birth Laddie named me little sister, seldom called me anything else, and cared for me all he possibly could to rest mother. He took me to the fields with him in the morning, and brought me back on the horse before him at noon. He could plow with me riding the horse, drive a reaper with me on his knees, and hoe corn while I slept on his coat in a fence corner. The winters he was away at college left me lonely, and when he came back for a vacation I was too happy for words. Maybe it was wrong to love him most. I knew my mother cared for and wanted me now, and all my secrets were not with Laddie. I had one with father that I was never to tell so long as he lived, but it was about the one he loved best, next after mother. Perhaps I should never tell it, but I wouldn't be surprised if the family knew. I followed Laddie like a faithful dog, when I was not gripping his waving hair and riding in triumph on his shoulders. He never had to go so fast he couldn't take me on his back. He never was in too big a hurry to be kind. He always had patience to explain every shell, leaf, bird, and flower I asked about. 
I was just as much his when pretty young girls were around, and the house full of company, as when we were alone. That was the reason I was shivering on the cordwood, gripping his letter, and thinking of all these things in order to force myself to go farther. I was excited about the fairies, too. I often had close chances of seeing them, but I always just missed. Now here was Laddie writing letters and expecting answers, our big woods enchanted, a magic carpet, and the queen's daughter becoming our size so she could speak with him. No doubt the queen had her grow big as Shelley when she sent her on an errand to tell Laddie about how to make sunshine, because she was afraid if she went her real size he would accidentally step on her, he was so dreadfully big. Or maybe her voice was so fine he could not hear what she said. He had told me I was to hurry, and I had gone as fast as I could until something jumped. Since I had been settled on that cordwood, like Robinson Crusoe, on his desert island, I had to get down sometime. I might as well start. I gripped the letter, slid to the ground, and ran toward the big gate straight before me. I climbed it, clutched the note again, and ran blindly down the road through the forest toward the creek. I could hurry there. On either side of it, I could not have run ten steps at a time. The big trees reached so high above me, it seemed as if they would push through the floor of heaven. I tried to shut my ears and run so fast I couldn't hear a sound. And so going, I soon came to the creek bank. There I turned to my right and went slower, watching for the pawpaw thicket. On leaving the road, I thought I would have to crawl over logs and make my way. But there seemed to be kind of a path, not very plain, but traveled enough to follow. It led straight to the thicket. At the edge, I stopped to look for the beach. It could be reached in one breathless dash, but there seemed to be a green enclosure, so I walked around until I found an entrance. Once there, I was so amazed I stood and stared. I was half indignant, too. Laddie hadn't done a thing but make an exact copy of my playhouse under the biggest maiden's blush in our orchard. He used the immense beech for one corner, where I had the apple tree. His magic carpet was woolly dog moss. And all the magic about it was that on the damp woods floor, in the deep shade, the moss had taken root and was growing as if it always had been there. He had been able to cut and stick much larger willow sprouts for his wall than I could, and in the wet black mold they didn't look as if they ever had wilted. They were so fresh and green, no doubt they had taken root and were growing. Where I had a low bench under my tree, he had used a log, but he had hewed the top flat and made a moss cover. In each corner he had set a fern as high as my head. On either side of the entrance he had planted a cluster of cardinal flower that was in full bloom, and around the walls, in a few places, thrifty bunches of Oswego tea and foxfire, that I would have walked miles to secure for my wild garden under the Bartlett pear tree. It was so beautiful that it took my breath away. If the queen's daughter doesn't like this, I said softly, she'll have to go to heaven before she finds anything better. For there can't be another place on earth so pretty. End of chapter one, part one.